0: Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dharma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dharma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Okay, this is the penultimate class in this Eightfold Path structured study. Uh, it will conclude on Saturday. Um, and this sutta is from the Aditya Pataya Sutta, or the three governing principles uh, for insight into awakening. So the three governing principles are the self as a governing principle, the world that self lives in, and the Dhamma, all governing principles. Of course, it's an understanding of the self, what it means to be a human being, and that we are a six property person, and that's it. I'll be teaching that uh, Dhatu Vavanga Sutta on Thursday. Um, And then how important it is to not use the world to make the self more of what it is, not get entangled in the world, and that the Dhamma is the way to disentangle the self from the world. The Buddha teaches there are three governing principles for the cessation of ignorance. The self is a governing principle. Of course, it means understanding the self. The world is a governing principle, understanding yourself in the world. And the Dhamma is a governing principle, understanding the Dhamma. Then the Buddha asks the rhetorical question, how is the self a governing principle for the cessation of ignorance? And of course, we're talking about ignorance of four noble truths. A skillful disciple, having established seclusion and quiet, reflects on this. It is not for the sake of robes, alms, lodging, or future becoming, that I am practicing the Dhamma. In other words, it's not for um, being recognized and noticed by the world. Uh, it's not by establishing yourself in any way in the world. It is simply, uh, or, or being concerned about what you might be in the next moment or the next lifetime for future becoming, that I practice the Dhamma. And then the Buddha teaches us, this is the understanding that comes from that. I am afflicted by birth as a consequence of having a human life, there are going to be difficulties. That is the most profound understanding any human being can develop, because then we stop taking things personally, especially when things don't go the way we want them to be, which is usually most things. We we either want more or less of what's occurring. And even when not much is occurring, we don't like that. It's called boredom. We need that to be different. So we grab for another beer, another piece of apple pie, another round of golf, etc., etc., All because of a misunderstanding of self, the world we live in, and having no Dhamma practice. I am afflicted by birth, by sickness, by aging and death. I'm also afflicted by sorrows, by regret, by pain, distress, and despair. I'm overcome by stress. Perhaps the cessation of the entire mass of suffering can be known. A declarative statement. There was an exclamation point after that. Perhaps the entire mass of suffering can be known. Of course it can. Then the Buddha asks the rhetorical question, what if I were to seek the same sort of sensual pleasures that I abandoned? I would lose the way. So again, he's pointing to the importance of maintaining a pure Dhamma practice, because at any point we could lose it. Then the Buddha says, I will remain persistent. My mindfulness refined and not confused. My body calm and not aroused. I am well concentrated and united with my body. The Buddha continues, the skillful disciple, having established themselves as a governing principle, what an important line. And again, I could say it's one of the most important statements the Buddha ever made. I am the governing principle of my awakening. Not the world, not magic, not mystical attainments not John Haspel not Siddhartha go to it nobody else but me I am myself is the governing principle for awakening therein lies all the power that every human every human being can have the power to awaken and it's up to us that person abandons what is unskillful and develops what is skillful the skillful disciple remains well focused and pure This is how a skillful disciple establishes themselves as a governing principle in ending ignorance of four noble truths. I'm going to read that last sentence again. The skillful disciple remains well-focused, the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path, and pure. This is how a skillful disciple establishes themselves as a governing principle in ending ignorance of four noble truths. It's up to each and every one of us. Then the Buddha asked this question, how is the world a governing principle for the cessation of ignorance? A skillful disciple having established seclusion and quiet reflects on this. It is not for the sake, sake of robes, alms, lodging, or future becoming that I am practicing the Dhamma. I am afflicted by birth, sickness, aging, and death by sorrows, regret, pain, distress, and despair, overcome by, by stress. Perhaps the cessation of this entire mass of suffering can be known. Again, another declarative statement. It can be. What if I were to think, that, think the same thoughts of sensual pleasures, of ill will, of harmfulness that I abandoned? Of course, those things are all applied to the external world as well, isn't it? Ill will and harm, harmfulness towards myself and others. Beings are many in the world. There are contemplatives. There's Brahmins and devas who claim psychic powers. They can see near and far almost like the Buddha saying, wow, these people have something going. But then he says, so even so, they don't exist. It's only in their imagination that they have psychic power. That was one of the most powerful things the Buddha ever said in his time, because most of the spiritual disciplines during his time were taught in such a manner that the reward was the development of psychic or supernatural powers. Most of modern Buddhism resolves itself in that way. That uh, any of you that are practicing, especially the Mahayana lineages, but even Theravada lineages, have become corrupted with the notion of future lives or, or future developments in magical and mystical places. All of those things are rooted in psychic powers. Um, the tradition that I took my vows in. One of the ways that you know that you are awakened are that you would become clairvoyant and you can you can remember each and every one of your past lives. And they use the inferences that there's an endless number of past lives. How does that reconcile with four noble truths? It doesn't. And the Buddha even taught, teaches us from twenty six hundred years ago. They can see near and far, but even so, they don't exist. Even so, they would see the unskilful. I'm sorry. There's a there's a colon in there, a semicolon that doesn't belong. Even so, they would see the unskillful disciple this way. Here is one who has taken to the Buddha's Dhamma, but they remain overcome by hurtful and unskillful mental qualities. So the Buddha is saying, you can be practicing my Dhamma, but if it's not pure, if it's not framed by the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path, you can lose your mind. The skillful disciple reflects in this manner: I will maintain persistence, my mindfulness refined and not confused, my body calm and not aroused. My mind well concentrated and united with my body. So if if we're wondering whether we're practicing the Dhamma in this moment, or if we might have lost our way a little bit, reflect on this. The skillful disciple reflects in this manner. I will maintain persistence, my mindfulness refined and not confused, my body calm and not aroused. My mind well concentrated and united with my body. So whenever those qualities are not present, you know that you've, you stepped off the path. I was going to say fallen off the path, but that's too emphatic. You've taken one step off the path is the best way to look at that. So we can take one step back on the path by uniting your mind and your body through your breath. The skillful disciple, whose words, having established the world as a governing principle, the world is a governing principle now. I abandon what is unskillful and develop what is skillful. And how do I find out what is unskillful and what is skillful? How it, how it relates to the world. Does it fit in with right speech and right action and right livelihood? Or is the world and my entanglements in the world showing me just that? The skillful disciple remains well-focused and pure. Again, framed by the Eightfold Path. This is how a skillful disciple establishes the world as a governing principle in ending ignorance of Four Noble Truths. The other inference is there is as you develop the Dhamma, you are to take it out into the world. We're not to to become hermits, and we're not to live in fear of the world or think that the world can somehow defile us. In fact, you could say that the whole point of the Dhamma is to take your seclusion that you establish on your cushion. Lorna was so great at talking about this, taking it off your cushion and bringing that seclusion into your moment-by-moment life. That's what is referred to as deep concentration or maintaining seclusion. In this moment, I'm in the midst of a world, right now the world is going crazy, isn't it? But we can stay secluded in the midst of all of this insanity through the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path, resting in jhana meditation. Then the, does this point also say that, at least that's what I'm, I'm reading there, that even though those contemplatives and devas uh, are kind of living in, in, the, in the delusion they can still point out that you have lost the way oh yeah but you have yeah and they, they know because they have uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and, and I can see how that that uh, mumbled conversation might have taken place twenty six hundred years ago <laughs> as it does today there's a what's that saying the blind leading the blind in that case then the Buddha asked how is my how is my dhamma a governing principle for the cessation of ignorance. A skillful disciple having established seclusion and quiet reflects on this. It is not for the sake of robes, alms, lodging, or future, future becoming that I am practicing the Dhamma. Again, reminding himself, the wise Dhamma practitioner, that as a consequence of having a human life, I will be afflicted by birth, by sickness, by aging, by death by sorrows, regret, pain, distress, and despair. I will become overcome by stress. Perhaps the cessation of this entire mass of suffering can be known. Then the Buddha says, my Dhamma is well taught by me to be developed here and now. Again, a very important declarative statement, here and now. Again, because everything that was taught during the Buddhist time, mostly resting in the Vedas, the, modern precursor, to, the precursor to modern Hinduism, taught some kind of salvation in a future establishment in a non-physical realm. My dharma, my dharma, my dharma is well taught by me to be developed here and now. My dharma is timeless. Again, the Buddha is not saying that it, it is a, an, uh it's an eternal process. It's timeless in that it is, a, it is effective throughout human history. It's meant to meet human beings where they are, no matter what's occurring. And as far as the human realm is concerned, the the earthly realm, I shouldn't even call it a realm, the earthly existence, the human existence, is always going to be characterized, at least aspects of it, by dukkha. And because human beings become obsessed and, and completely distracted by salvation from dukkha, they miss their whole life. My dhamma is well taught by me to be developed here and now. My Dhamma is timeless. It encourages verification. Meaning, again, we don't take anything on faith. Again, a very important and completely contradictory declarative statement made by the Buddha then, because everything during his time did not require verification personally. It required faith. Finding a teacher that had a great reputation, uh, going along with what they're saying, developing it, and then being at peace with it. The Buddha did that with Alara Kalama and Udeka Ramaput to develop their Dhammas, well respected, the most respected spiritual teachers of his time, teaching variants of Hinduism, mastered their their dhammas, so much so that they asked the Buddha, begged him, to come and represent them out in the world, and the Buddha said no. It does not lead to anything of any value. It's not well taught. It's not developed here and now, it's a future establishment again his the buddha's words my dhamma is timeless it encourages verification it is entirely relevant and to be directly experienced experienced by the observant disciple for themselves again this is another thing that contradicted all of the spiritual and spiritual discipline and religions of the buddhist time and today skillful disciples are true companions in the well-integrated life um, let me just say a little bit about that term. Well integrated, all of the uh, most of the translations would have the holy life here. There, some variant of uh, the religious aspect, and all that the Buddha is talking about, and all that that word holy means in this case, is a holistic approach to the Dhamma. Meaning, we have completely integrated in its entirety, in its completeness, the Eightfold Path. True companions in the well-integrated life, who dwell in the well-taught Dhamma. Well disciplined, they know that laziness and mindlessness will cause them to lose their way. You've got to keep up with the Dhamma. And you know, we've seen it here in this room that those that that, that those that come to the more the most classes are the ones that seem to develop the Dhamma the quickest, or at least um, to its more profound levels. The skillful disciple reflects in this manner. I will maintain persistence. My mindfulness refined and not confused my body calm and not aroused, my mind well concentrated and united with my body. Does our dhamma practice reflect that last paragraph? The skillful disciple having established my dhamma as a governing principle abandons what is unskillful and develops what is skillful, meaning, again, the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path. The skillful disciple remains well-focused and pure. This is how a skillful disciple establishes my dhamma as a governing principle in ending ignorance of four noble truth. These are the governing principles of my Dhamma. There is no secret place in the world for those doing evil. The skillful disciple knows whether they are well-focused or or confused. Again, I'm going to read it again. The skillful disciple knows whether they are well-focused or
1: confused.
0: And if you don't know, it simply means that you need to spend a little bit more time in jhana meditation and developing the framework of the evil path. And you will know. The skillful disciple clearly observes themselves. The skillful disciple clearly observes themselves that hurtful behavior hides. In other words, we, we, we no longer BS ourselves. In all of our behaviors, we see ourselves clearly. The wise see them st- themselves, ah. the wise see the fool unrestrained in the world. How, and that's how most of us are taught, to live our lives. The, the secret to life is to get as much of it as you can. Most experiences, most things, most relationship, again, most this, most that. The, the, the wise see the fool unrestrained in the world. So, govern yourself with Mindfulness. Govern the world with restraint. Establish in jhana, Governed by my dhamma, in thought, word, and deed, follow my dhamma. The sage who engage in right effort in developing their understanding of four noble truths will not lose their way. The skillful disciple conquers mara. Mara is always a metaphor for ignorance. There is no further becoming, again, further ignorant. The skillful disciple understands the world. A sage free of ignorance of themselves and the world. That is the end of the sutta. Thank you all. So, a remarkable sutta that um, is a constant reminder of, of the, uh, Matt used a good word before, the flavor of the Dhamma. That's what it feels like. This is what it looks like. This is the flavor of the Dhamma. So, let's hear what you have to say, Brian.
2: Hi, John. Uh, this one's just really timely for me. This week, I was just having this similar conversation with my son yesterday, and there's this longing for the things that I've abandoned, this 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 craving, and I I know it's ego, I know it's Anata, um, and just reading this just just enforce that you can't go back. Yeah, and, and it's 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 one thing to think about those those desires or those longings, and it's. It's another thing entirely. I don't think I could do it at this point, even if I wanted to, which is really fascinating. So it's, you know, on the one okay. hand, you get this 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 wonderful peace and contentment, but at the same time, you are dealing with this this death of ego that that had all these things, and it's it hurts a bit. And then you just you realize with the right view that what's hurting is is not a self, and it, it just it's this amazing yeah. little circle that you run through
0: yeah in that sense brian the the diminishing of the ego self is kind of like losing an old friend isn't it yeah and so at times and that that is bittersweet at times yeah uh and it's and it and it also simply shows developing dharma practice you wouldn't even recognize that process right wouldn't have meaning for you i think about that a lot that you know i i Maybe I do it every day. I kind of pinch myself on how fortunate I am to have come across the Dhamma and have a mind that was able to develop it. Again, nothing special with my mind. We've seen a lot of people develop the Dhamma this way. But I can't imagine, especially today, but I can't imagine not having the Dhamma or giving up on the Dhamma. Again, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit my thinking. Uh, And that's that's kind of when, when we know we've kind of turned the corner. You know it just becomes a, a the the most liberating aspect of our life, and we just we're just present for it so. and you've done a done a good job, my friend.
2: thank you. good teacher.
0: <laughs> thank you. oh, thank you for that.
3: Jane John, now I want to echo what Brian said. I can't imagine going back either, but for me it's it's kind of the opposite. I don't miss my ego self.
0: <laughs> good for you <laughs> this is this is be- much better hey i i agree i agree there's no going back for people like us um there's someone here that i i can't read your name but it's the only one left online
4: hi it's ryan uh ryan, oh, hi, ryan. How are you? good how are you uh good i'm glad you can little... join us tonight sure thank you yeah good to be here yeah i would just say it was it's just a good reminder of of how the the sense of self you know is always entangling as you said uh with with the experiences of life the the external forces around us uh and just to always continue to just take stock of how that's at play uh in our day-to-day life and um and there's just layers upon layers of self and, 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 just being, you know, it's just, it's just always amazing how it's like an onion. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but anyways, yeah, I guess that was just, that was the main kind of point that kind of stood out to me is just to continue to be vigilant of how that's transpiring, uh, moment to moment, day to day
0: yeah it, it, thank you, Ryan. I, that again, it's just Dhamma practice. it is you, know, you can say it's like peeling an onion because we're always coming up against aspects of ourselves that are fabricated and, and have no no substance except they like Brian was saying, even though the a uh, uh, discarded ego self still feels like it has some substance to it uh, because it, it's been us for so long. but again, it's easily abandoned once we recognize it uh again thanks ryan for joining us i gotta ask david what is i can't read what that says i'm afraid
1: to hit the button i don't oh, want to uh, hand is raised there's i think don't worry about it okay <laughs> <laughs> so in that case
0: i'm gonna hit the button yeah just okay somebody had their hand up and I, I i didn't see it so i ignored it i'm sorry for that let's go to brett hey brett <clears throat> hey how well, uh, are you for teaching? Got
1: him. <clears throat> A little, uh, little frazzled tonight. During the meditation, blew my mine. But it's good to be here, and uh, definitely no turning, no turning back. As far as you know, being able to see what's yeah, what the right path is, and you know, and that's that building that awareness. Uh, you know, once you have that awareness, I guess that's the part that you also can't get tackled in because you yeah. see everything. Yeah. so um, and be able to let, let stuff go and realize it's the four-level truths so and what's suffering and be able to sort that out yeah. or not
0: have to sort it out yeah you, you're, it becomes more painful to, to discard the dollar than not
1: yeah and you
0: i, you, I chase you down my walk and hit you with a two-by-four
1: anyway yes. <laughs> you here tonight thank you well, thank you
0: John for that um <clears throat> Yeah, I've heard this a a few times, and it's always been a bit confusing um, as far as the governing principles. Uh, I remember Kevin taught it once uh, during retreat, and uh, he was struggling with it too, and um, just yesterday and today, reading through it again, I was starting to get some clarity on it, that it could actually be called the guiding principle.
3: You know? yeah.
0: You're using yourself as your as as your guide. Yeah. What is the word governing? I went through this when I did this translation, mm. and governing really means a governor, a good governor yeah. guides. Guide. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, you know? yeah. I just never saw the uh, that word as, in, in that
1: sense. Yeah.
0: Um, and and when you when you look at the, the last verses. That he puts in there at the end, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the the skillful um, disciple can't hide from from his f- uh, failure. Yeah, as he sees it too clearly. As once you were established somewhere in, in the Dharma, uh, you just you just can't go back, as we said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, in fact, then you then you welcome. Uh, you know, I can use that word. Then you welcome when you. Well, you, you welcome the recognition of your fabrications because mm. you can abandon. So you were saying that before, that, yeah. you know, even as painful, not to describe it so well, as painful as it can be. That's the point, and, and you know? even to 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 see the criticism from out coming back from from the world yeah. you know, of your behavior. Yeah. Use that. Oh yeah, as well. It, it, uh, yeah, if you're not reacting to what people think you should be reacting to today, you know. It, it, Mm-hmm. you're doing something wrong and again that, that is the point of the Dharma not reacting and in the end it's, it's the the final guidance it's is the Dharma itself
1: yeah.
0: yeah you just can't go wrong it. and it works doesn't it, all? it in, in, in all applications have you found any, any place where you couldn't apply the Dharma no it wasn't always welcome <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the world uh, well that, the Buddha was, wasn't always welcomed in the world right but um, when I when I look at my at my own behavior and I test it on, on the Dharma, um, it feels it feels solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's there's no compl- there's no complication to that. I don't yeah. have to apply a, 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 a very kind of austere. Philosophy to to you know to my work no no there's no uh, really intricate morality involved there it's yeah the the, the guiding the, the actual guiding the governing principle of the dharma is just so straightforward yeah you used the the word austere and I never really thought about it this way but the 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 limiting factor probably said it different ways now it's coming out of my mouth but the limiting factors of the Eightfold path lead to an enriched life it's it's really the the opposite is a life of austerity because you're not living really anything you're just distracted to think you're in abundance right and you're really living this incredibly narrow life an awakened human being a fully mature human being. Then has the ability to experience all of life. I think I said a few classes ago. If you want to, if you want to have the experience of eternity, you have to be now because that's where eternity is experienced. Experience is I mean, eternity. Isn't is an experience? A million years from now, and then you can look back and say, "Ah, oh, yeah, that was almost eternity." And eternity is, is here. It's there only in its simplicity. It's not yeah. in its Yeah, and everything is in that simple. Yeah, you know, I, I hate to go back to Eckhart Tolle because he doesn't—he's not right about the way he comes. <laughs> he's a funny, guy. but he's true. Yeah, it's interesting. I to listen to. But everything that we ever want has to be right here. You know, we might have some of our stuff in the other room that we have to walk to, but it's only there when we walk to that room. I'm, mean, you know, a little bit esoteric in my, in my teaching, but that is the point. Whatever we're going to find meaning can only be found in this moment in this life. And that, that
1: is the richest of life. Thank you, my friend. David. Another meaning of governing. It means limited. Ah, yes, that's right. Another suit on these three that's things. Great insight. And, you know, I think of what Brian and said about the onion and, Brian talked about the painful aspect of what he's abandoned. And I experienced almost like a death rattle of the things that I was abandoning. And I saw that as being released from it, but I felt that death rattle that like palpable palpable and you know, in the end, I wasn't giving up anything. Yeah. In the end, yeah. it was, it, it was empty. Yeah. So, this, this, tight little sutta, that's what was teaching. Uh, yeah.
0: Great, great insight. Yeah, Look, All the word giving up is a bag of nonsense.
3: Not even that. Hello. John, good to see you. Good to hear everybody tonight. Um, thank you for the teaching. Kevin, you did a great job teaching the sutta as well. Um, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, the thing that struck me is is the the governing principle of the self is mindfulness. So, if we want to understand the self, how we do that is mindfulness. The governing principle of the world is restraint. So, if we want to understand ourselves in relation to the world, it's through restraint.
0: And. How do you apply, how do you, I'm asking this question because I know the answer. How do you apply restraint when the object that has your attention in the world is rooted in
3: a lack of restraint? Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that, then I think of the, the fire suit and, and you know, the world is
1: aflame with the fires of passion, which are the bright, shiny
3: lights, the the, the distracting sounds, the distracting. Um, the disagreeable voices. Yeah. Like the, 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 the noise. In your yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, you know, when I, when I engage those distractions through clinging to my own view, which is, how I personalized the world then I'm now I'm now I'm gone now I've lost it yeah. now I've now I've you know yeah, that's why I asked the question I because I knew, I knew away by we get a great answer yeah. and and so I like you said I you stepped off the bat yeah. so the the governing principle of the Dhamma is then gently step back on it yeah yeah
0: as opposed to beat the living hell out of yourself and, you know, or decide uh, that. And I've had people say that, that it's because the Dhamma stopped working for them, Dhamma must be no good. And maybe it is for them. And, you know, that might be a reasonable conclusion. But I would say everybody I've seen, everybody here that has practiced the Dhamma as intended, has developed it as intended. And those that didn't, don't.
1: Right. I've just never seen it. As stepping off the path, John, I just see it as that's the path. Yeah. That because the next breath, the governing is mindfulness yeah. to return to. So I don't know. I just never saw it as that I have to get back on the path. Even when I lost my mind, I'm aware of it. Yeah.
0: Well, you were though almost instantly. You you had a remarkable. Experience with the Dhamma, I think.
1: I did. It's not because I come every class. It's something because it's Part of that. It's the formal truths,
0: which is what's occurring. It's, yeah, but David's a good example. I, I would say we all are for developing the Dhamma, but there's gradations of that. But he's a good example of someone where the, the Buddha talked about 2,600 years ago. He knows what I'm going to say, with just a speck of dust in his eyes. He was. He, I wouldn't say you were waiting for the Dhamma, but once the Dhamma was there for you, you saw it. You know, you, That little speck of dust fell away and you were able to develop the Dhamma. Some of us have two or three specks of dust, you know, and so we got to, it, takes us just a bit longer, maybe a little bit more um, distractions because of the dust. But if you practice a Dhamma as it's intended, it works. And so, you know, this, this sutta also points to why this Sangha. Is formed the way it is, and why we teach the way we teach, because it has to be pure. And if it is, it works. So, Man, I think I
3: cut you off though I'm no, asking my no, no, question. In really
4: that way, that
3: the practice of the Dharma is governed by mindfulness and restraint. Yeah, you know, as laid out in the Inculpat. Greatly simplified that. Right? <laughs> that is that, that's a that's a great synopsis of the sutta.
0: Well, another wonderful class. Um, we'll conclude our Eightfold Path Structure Study this Saturday, uh, but we'll finish tonight's class uh, with meta, as we always do. Oh, my giant cutoff. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath Unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddhist words for metta in the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And just, I, I think I said this Saturday, just think about this sutta, the words in it, in relation to what's going on in the world today. And, and this applies to everyone in the world. The Buddhist words. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise will later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, The great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will which harm it upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all other beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, Being free from all sense desires is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider
1: a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.